asked the class that each boy should come in with a story about a, a rob, a gadol, that involves Hanukkah. A maisa of Gedalim, a maisa of Tzadikim, that is Nagea Hanukkah. And so I couldn't think of that many stories, unfortunately, but one story that stood out in my mind is a story involving the Briskarov. Whoever has been to Yerushalayim and who knows the area of Geula knows that the yeshiva of Brisk is found on Rehov Press. Today it's a, it's a very prestigious, very prominent yeshiva. Of course, probably the hardest yeshiva to get into in the world. But it used to be the home of the Briskarov. And around the corner from Rehov Press, on the main thoroughfare, was a very large movie theater by the name of the Edison Theater. And the story goes, and I've heard conflicting reports whether the story is true or not, but it's a great story in my opinion, that the Briskarov used to call the Edison Theater every single Hanukkah, Arab Hanukkah, today he would call the Edison Theater and he would ask the theater owner or whoever answers the phone, what time is the latest showing? When is the last movie going to be over? And of course the people in the house were quite confused why the Briskarov of all people, one of the great Kanoim of the Dar, would call a movie theater and find out when the latest showing was. And the Briskarov explained that the halacha is that a person supposed to light Candles, the Hanukkah candles are supposed to be dialect from Shkia, whatever Shkia is defined by as the Rishainim debate. But Shkia from Shkia, it has to burn until the last people stop walking around in the marketplace. And so the shear is basically, that is generally understood to be a half an hour after Tzais. However, there is a shita, the shita of the Ritva holds that it depends where you live. A half an hour after Tzais is when the most, uh, that, that would be the average time in most places people stop walking around in the shuk a half an hour after, after Tzais. However, in many places in the world, let's say if you live in, in Manhattan, in Times Square, people are milling around the entire night and so maybe according to the Ritva, you might have to light candles the entire night because it's based on wherever you live. The average place was a half an hour after, say, that's when the Shatikhla Raglan Tamudai, when people stopped selling their wares after half an hour after nightfall, people would generally go home, they wouldn't be found outside so much. But up until that point, there might be a chiyah to keep the lights kindled in order to be mefars in the nais. I have a friend who lives in Belgium, in Antwerp, and I went there several times for chasnas of friends of mine, and it's an amazing thing. In Europe, not all countries perhaps, but in Antwerp, it's a city that basically shuts down after dark. 
Meaning, you have to make sure to get all of your provisions before 6 o'clock at night, let's say, because after that, all the stores are closed. In America, that's something that's very foreign to us. We have 7-Elevens open all night. You have all these convenience stores. And so you can basically go at any hour of the day or night and get anything that you possibly want from a uh, place from... Uh, from, from, from a soda to a shawarma to a... Everything is open at night. In Belgium, everything shuts down. And I asked my friend, how not it like very hard to live here? Like, how do you not like run out at night and get stuff? Like, don't you need things? Don't you... He says, in America, those stores like 7-Elevens, they're called convenience stores. He says, but the truth is, it's not so convenient because if... Let's say you have uh, you run out of diapers at 11 o'clock at night. Your wife is going to send you out to get more diapers. Is that convenient? Says so if, if a person is in the mood for ice cream at 1 o'clock in the morning or his wife has a craving for a, for a pickle, so you have to run out and get it. In, in Belgium, there is no such thing. You're basically you're home. There's nothing else to do. You basically could stay home all night and learn and go to sleep, whatever you want to do. But there's, no, there's nothing that is making you run outside. So that is really the convenience over what we consider to be a convenience. But there are, very, there are many societies that actually shut down at night and then there are societies that stay up the whole night. And so, according to the ritual, if you happen to live in a place that there's a lot of tumult going on the whole night or very late into the night, you might have to keep your menorah on that late, at least in the times when we would like to mefarsim the nays to the people in the shuk. Nowadays, after the sakana, we tend to light indoors, so basically it's then, then it would for sure be a half an hour after, after, uh, after tzais. But if you live in a society that would be mefarsimit to the, like in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, where people do light outside still because there is no sakana, so then the briskarov called the movie theater because he felt that the sheep, he was machmer like the ritva, and he felt that it was important to know when the latest movie was going to let out so that he would be able to know when when it would be Shatikla Regalman Ashok, that would be the last time that there would be many people that might walk down, hang a, a right on Rakhov Press and walk down his block and they might take notice of his menorah. And so he would make sure to have it lit past that time. That was the story of the uh, of the Briskarov with the Edison Theater. I want to discuss something a little bit peculiar for a schmooze, but I hope that it will lead to something that will be uh, meaningful for all of us. And that is the history of the Edison movie theater. Because it was so prominent in this story of the Briskarov that everybody knows the story of the Briskarov, I actually read an article about the Edison movie theater and the history, it was a very historic landmark in Yerushalayim. The Edison Theater was built in the year 1932, which was years before the state was founded. It was built to be both a movie house and it was also a concert hall. There was times that the famous Chazanim would come and sing there, Moshe Kosovitsky, other Chazanic greats, and it was a very, very popular venue. It was, it was like the Carnegie Hall of Yerushalayim, if you will. 
And the reason why, how they were able to get away with building a movie theater in the heart of the holy city of Yerushalayim was because back in the 1930s, there were many, many more chilonim, many non-from Jews than there were from Jews. And so the from Jews were very... Uh, much more timid, they didn't feel like that they should ever really voice their opinion too loud because they were really the minority in Yerushalayim at that time. But we know that as time went on, Yerushalayim became much more orthodox. And in the year 1949, what happened was a very interesting event that the when were these theaters? The movies were basically open after Shabbos. It wasn't, it was never open up until that point on Shabbos itself. People go to the movies on Matzai Shabbos, or they go to these concerts on Matzai Shabbos. So the owner of the theater decided that he wants to open up the box office on Shabbos itself. That Shabbos itself, there should be an open box office that people who want to purchase tickets for the Saturday night show would be able to come on Shabbos afternoon and buy their tickets at the at the booth. And when this happened, the people, the Haredim in Yerushalayim went absolutely crazy to open up on Shabbos, in Mechal Shabbos in Yerushalayim, to sell tickets to a movie for Matzai Shabbos. So that is not going to happen in our Yerushalayim. And so they took to the streets that first Shabbos that the box office opened on Shabbos day, the thousands and thousands of Haredim poured in to Kikar Shabbos. You know, the famous intersection in, uh, that, by Gerula of, uh, of, of, of Strauss and, uh, Shmuel Hanavi there. That's called Kikar Shabbos. The reason why it's called Kikar Shabbos, where did it get the name from? There's two famous intersections in Yerushalayim. There's Kikar Shabbos and Kikar Tzion. Kikar Shabbos got its name from this time in Yerushalayim's history where people came to, they started their protest march in Kikar Shabbos where they would scream for the Holy Shabbos' Kedusha and they would all gather there and then they would start walking up the block up until the Edison Theater where they would heckle the people and protest and make hafkanot in front of the movie theater where people were going to purchase their tickets. And the police, of course, came. This was the first year after the state was founded. And there was somebody by the name of Amram Bloy. Rav Amram Blau was the head of the Eda Haredis. He was the Kanoi of the, uh, one of the great Kanoim of the Dar, one of the great zealots. And he, what he did was, he stuck his head. He went to the box office, and in those days the box office was not like glass with a little cutout. It was basically a bar, like, you know, like a, like a, like a prison bar. And he stuck his head in between the prison bars, and he was screaming, Shabbos Kaidesh! Shabbos Kaidesh! And the police came, and they started hitting him until he was bleeding and gushing blood all for the Kedusha of Shabbos. And this is what happened week after week after week. And the, so the Edison Theater became a centerpiece of Kedusha Shabbos. It became the focal point of the protests for Shabbos Kedush. The Briskarov, who of course was there at the time, and he lived merely a block away, a half a block away, as the first story told. He said that I am, he was Misnabe. He gave a Nabuah that I don't know when, 
but someday the Edison Theater will be converted into a makam of Kedusha Bitaro. Because of all of the protests, because of all of the efforts that were made to stop the Chil Shabbos near Shalayim, so someday this is going to be a landmark for Kedusha and for Tara. And what happened was that in the year 2005, they knocked down the Edison Theater and they built public housing for Hasidim to live in. In Yushalayim, there's of course a, a very big need for public housing and they built an entire housing project on this very piece of property of the Edison Theater where they have Haredim, Mishpachas, big Mishpachas, beautiful Mishpachas that live now in that very Makrim of this theater. What does this have to do with Hanukkah? Why are we talking about the Edison Theater? Because this is Hanukkah. Hanukkah is about that whenever there is an opportunity for a Jew to be Meiser Nefesh, to give up one's life and one's soul and one's body for HaKadosh Baruch and for his Torah and for Shabbos and for Kedusha, that is what a person has to do. What happened was by the time of Hanukkah, Hanukkah was a time of Kedusha. It was in the middle of the period of the second Beis HaMikdash. And we had our Beis HaMikdash, we had certain Kedusha, a lot of Kedusha in the world. But the Yavonim did not begin, the Syrian Greeks did not want that the Jewish people should have such Kedusha, such holiness. And so they set their crosshairs on Yerushalayim, on the Beis HaMikdash, and they were geyser gezeris against us because they wanted to be metamei They wanted to take whatever was holy and sacred to a Jew and make it profane. They didn't mind us being Jews. It was not like Haman who wanted to actually physically destroy us and annihilate us. They were very content with the Jewish people being Jews, but just not religious Jews. They didn't want that the Greek culture which celebrated the body, the physical, the hedonistic, the ability to love Elam Hazah and to focus primarily on this world. They didn't understand, they didn't, under, they didn't want that the Jews should be somewhat different from the rest of their culture. They wanted that the Jews should adopt the Syrian Greek culture and also be much more Gashmiistic. You want to be Jews? Fine but make sure to be Jews in a very materialistic culture. Enjoy this world. Enjoy the physical. Develop your bodies. Develop philosophical concepts. But don't be Isaac and Kedusha. So they set their eyes on certain mitzvahs. Not all mitzvahs. Mila was one of the mitzvahs that they set their mind on. Because Mila, I was just at a bris yesterday. I, I, I spoke at a, a Talmud's bris. And I said this Vart, that Mila is something that the Greeks could not understand and they didn't want to understand it. Because to a Greek, they felt the body was perfect. They worshipped the body. They worshipped the ability to Greece, Athens, where the Olympics come from, the ability to be athletic, to be, to completely, uh, just be Isaac in the physical. 
And so a bris is something that is so against their their entire meltdown shown to believe that a person should be able to come out of a mother's stomach and to have to be improved have to basically say that something is wrong with the physical body, that there's an RO, there's something that has to be actually removed, that was something that's completely foreign to the, to the Greek culture. They believe that the body is perfect, don't touch the body. Of course, the reason why we believe that their body could be improved, if you look in the Chinuch, is that just like we understand that as far as our spiritual nature, a Jew always has to climb and grow spiritually. You cannot be content. We must never rest on our laurels and believe, oh, I'm perfect. I hit the climax of, of spirituality and I need not go any further. The same way that we know that that's not true by Dvaram Ruchniyam, the same thing is true by Dvaram Gashmiyam. We have to understand that we have to change. We have to always improve. And so when we come out and the eighth day of a child's existence, we give him a milah to show him that you can change, you can perfect yourself more and more. Don't think ever that you are a perfect Bria, but there's always room for improvement. That's the message, according to many of the Rishayim, of what milah is all about. And so the Greeks did not want this, so they abolished milah. The Greeks did not want Rishchidesh, because also that was also symbolic of the, of the Jew and waxing and waning and, and basically how the Jew always triumphs. They wanted to put that down, that notion that the Jew is always somebody that regardless of what happens throughout history, we always come back. And finally, Shabbos. Shabbos was something that was very, very antithetical to the Greeks because Shabbos represents the Mysabracious that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world and the Greeks didn't want to be macabre about they wanted to believe that the world was always in existence and that the world is something that will always be in existence as a physical entity without any Kedusha in it and so Shabbos was something that really they were against and they fought against it against these three things and of course against Hamatayra and so when Matisio Bonab went and they were Meiser Nefesh. It's an amazing thing to think about that there were a few, there was Matisio, Bonov, a Jew, and a couple of his sons, and they did personal Mulchama against the mighty Syrian Greek army. That means to say, imagine if you have you have a couple of old, gray, bearded rabbis, and they do, they wage a war against the Navy SEALs. It, would anyone put money on the fact that the rabbis would win? Nobody in their right mind would ever possibly imagine that some, some how could that, it's not Shayok. I mean, even if it, a nace, this is not a nace, this is mamish, it's, it doesn't, it, it's impossible. But that's exactly what happened. The Matisyoh, Banov, were able, through the Kayach HaKedushah, they were Meiser Nefesh to fight against the Syrian Greek army, which was the mightiest army in the world. And they won. Against, not against all odds, against impossible odds. If you, there isn't Shayach to put a, a higher stake against them winning. But they won. And this teaches us an important insight. That when a person fights for something that's important, when a person fights for Kedusha Vitara in the world, a person is zaycha to siyat deshmaya. 
a person is granted heavenly assistance. The Rabbi Shalom is able to do anything that he wants. He is the he is the Kol Yachel. He is the he is the Almighty. He could do anything that he wants. There's Hayat Hashem Tiksar. It's impossible to say that the Rabbi Shalom is that there's something in the world that it's not possible for the Rabbi Shalom to do. How do I tap into that power of being invincible? Only if I'm Meiser Nefesh, if I give up my very life and limb for God. If I do that, if I fight the good fight, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu will always be on my side, and I will always be able to be Menatzeah. That is the lesson of Hanukkah. That a person has to be Meiser Nefesh for HaKadosh Baruch Hu And when a person does that, even against all odds, that person will win because HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be Be'ezrei. Agav, why is it this way? Why does HaKadosh Baruch Hu perform a nace? If you are Meiser Nefesh, there's a Gemara in Brachas on Davchaf Ahmed Aleph that says that there were certain, the Gemara asks, why is it that in this generation we're not Zaycha to Nisim, but in previous generations they were? And if you want to tell me it's because they were more knowledgeable in Torah, it's not true. They didn't know nearly as much Torah as we do. That's what the Gemara says. They had, we have so many Mesiftas and so many Batimidrashas and we're Bakim and Shafs and in many, many things that the previous generations were not Zaychen. But yet they were Zaychen to have miracles. They could take off their shoe and the rain would come. And we, we start, we, we cry and we daven with mass rallies and we're never answered. Why is it? If we learn more Torah, then why is it that we don't have the miracles that the old generation had? And the Gemara says because they were able to be Meisir Nefesh for things and we are not Meisir Nefesh for things. And the Gemara gives an example which we're not going to go into but basically you see a Yisaid that Nisim come about as a result of Meisir Nefesh. And the way that the Mepharshim explain this is I heard it from, from Rosh Shiva of mine and I, I've seen it in Rav Schwab, in Rav Mardachai Schwab Sefer. He says like this what is a nace? A nace is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu does something It's something which is there's the natural in the world nace is a supernatural event Kriyas Yamsuf was supernatural because it's not normal in the Teva of the world for water to split and to stand up that's just not the way gravity works that's not the way water works that goes contrary to the world, to the world of physics and so but that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does when he performs a nace. How are we able to activate this response of HaKadosh Baruch Hu to go L'maylam and Ateva? Only if we go against our Teva. And Mesiris Nefesh is a person going against his Teva. If I go and I'm Meser Nefesh, that means that I'm going against nature. Nature is, the nature of a human being is self-preservation. I always want to preserve myself. I'm always, I'm naturally careful that nothing should ever happen to me. The reason why a person, if you know about biology, the way it works is if a person's about to get into a car accident, all of a sudden the entire body prepares for that, the blood starts congealing in a certain way so that it doesn't completely come out of the body, the eyes shut, a lot of things happen immediately, with a second everything shuts down in the body to protect itself from anything happening. The body is very self-protective. 
And that's the way the mind is, that's the way our entire psyche is. We want to protect ourselves. And so when a Jew goes and is Meiser Nefesh, I'm going into war because I want to protect Kali Yisrael. I believe in a cause and I believe in the Rabbi Nisham and I'm going to fight for that. That is the ultimate Lamayla Menateva. That goes against nature. Nature dictates that I should always try to hide somewhere. If there's a war, if there's a chance to fight, I should be a coward and run into a corner just so I'm safe. If I go and I fight against, I fight a Mohama against anything for any purpose that's really important to me, that's Mesir Snefesh, that's Lamayla Menateva. Sakharishvarch responds with a nace. And the definition of a nace is something which is Lamayla Menateva. So it's Mida Kenegan Mida. If a person feels very important about that it's important to do something and he fights for it, Akash Baruch responds miraculously. I heard once from an Adam Gadol that you see this in the history of the state of Israel. There are many Milchamas from 1948 till today. And Klai Yisrael saw many, many Nisim, Mamish, Nisim, Mamish, from in 1948 by the War of Independence. If you read the stories about what happened, they, the Israeli army, which was so, it wasn't at all what it looked like today, it was such a, um, you know, it was really, it was really nothing. It was just a bunch of young people with, a, with strong ideology that were fighting against a much greater and outmanned, out, out, outweaponed army of Arabs surrounding them that wanted to drive them into the sea. And Nisim and Iflais, they would drop like seltzer bottles, glass seltzer bottles from airplanes, and the Arabs would think it was bombs that they had, and they would run away, they would retreat. But not normal things in 1967. Mamish, if you read, it's Kedai to read the, the history of 1967 war, all of the armies of the, of the Arabs around the, around Klai Yisrael, around, around Eretz Yisrael attacked at once. And it wasn't Shayach to be back in a normal way, the odds, of being able to fight one war successfully against one nation on one front is high in, in the state of Israel because there's so many, they have so much money, they have so many sophisticated weaponries from all the oil money. So they're fighting in this war against Syria in the north and Egypt in the south. And then Jordan also thought he believed that, that, that he believed what Nasser, the president of Egypt, was saying on the radio that we're winning, we're destroying the, the enemy army. And so he, the, the tippish that he was, he went in with his Jordanian army, even though the Israeli government called him and said, don't fight this war, don't get involved with this, we can't, we don't want you to also have to be involved in this battle. And he went in, and that's why Kali Yisrael has all the quote-unquote occupied territories today, Yerushalayim and the Kaisal and, and beyond, all because of in 1967, Jordan decided to join the Muhammad. But that the Israeli army was able to beat back all of the enemy forces in the north and the south and the, of all sides. Mamish Nisim. A lot of the Balchuva movement, they say, really emanates from that war. Because everybody saw such Yad Hashem. The, every Jew in the world and everyone in the world for them. But Jews, all of a sudden, they were reawakened to the fact that there must be a God in the world. It's not possible to say that there's no God in the world if the Israeli army could win such a de- decisive victory against all odds, they saw the Yad Hashem, the Yerushalayim by the thousands. And so, these are things that happen, and the reason why 
they were zeichet to Nisim was also because they were Meisir Nefesh. The Jews, whether they were Shemir Tayyar Mitzvahs or not, but they believed in a cause. They believed in Zionism. They believed that it was important for a Jew to have Eretz Yisrael. And because they believed in a cause and they were willing to die for the cause, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu made Nisim for them. Because that is the quid pro quo of a Jew. If you're Meisir Nefesh for something that you believe in, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be there to help you. And the danger of Bizman Azet, this is what this Gadol said, that the danger that we live in in this time is that even though Eretz Yisrael has a lot of sophisticated weaponry and a very, very strong army, but because we see that their belief, their willing to be Meisir Nefesh is really tapering off, that no one is really so excited anymore for Zionism as they, as they used to because of all the political things that have been taking place over the past decade or two and the giving back of Gush Katif and everything, they're so, they're so not interested anymore. They saw a lot of the dream of Zionism sort of evaporate before their eyes. So they're not willing to be Meisnevish. They don't want to fight wars anymore. That's why they're willing to give back the whole Yudav Shamron because they, they just rather, if we can make peace at any price, just we don't want to fight anymore. We want to live like Americans in America. We don't want to have all of the mysterious Nefesh anymore. When you stop having mysterious Nefesh or something, the Nisim also tend to go away as well. And so this is something that's a very, very important side when it comes to Hanukkah. That you have to see that when a Jew is willing to fight and be Mesir Nefesh for something important, like Tyra, like Mitzvahs, like Eretz Yisrael, like Shabbos, then it's something that a person can await Nisim for. But if a person is unwilling to fight, then a person is really lacking a very basic dimension of what it means to be a Yid and what it means to have Nisim take place to him. The Panavicharov said a beautiful vart on Alanisim. Alanisim, we say, Alanisim, Alapurkan, Alagvuras, Alachuas, Alamochamas. What does it mean, Alamochamas? We, we ask, we thank Hashem, we're grateful for the miracles, I understand that, for the salvations, for all the victories. for the wars, we're grateful for the battles that we fight. What does that mean? He says, are we a bloodthirsty people? Are we people that are that are savages that want to destroy it? We want we love we love doing battle. We love waging war. Is that what the type of people that we are? Chalila, Jews are the most. We're the most pacifist people in the world. Every peace movement in the world, if you look closely, it's probably a Jew behind it. Jews love peace. They like life. They like. They're not people that enjoy going to war. It's like the last resort for a yid to have to go and do battle. So what does that mean, Talmud In fact, there's a famous Meshachachma. Meshachachma says that if you see all of the Yom Tovim that Klai Yisrael have, we don't rejoice over our enemy's downfall. By Purim, Purim, let's say, the day that we celebrate is not the day that we actually were able to physically destroy the enemies that were trying to attack us. That took place on Yud Gimel. Yod Gimel Adar was the day, the Emer Mulchama. That was the day that, uh, that we gathered to fight. The day of Arnitzachim was Yod Meaning that it was Dafka, it wasn't the day that we killed, 
It was the day that we were, like the Megillah says, Yem Asher Nachu Bamayudim, when we rested, when we were able to know, to lay down our arms and not be at war, that's when a Jew celebrates. We're not people like other countries that celebrate the day that we were actually able to destroy the enemy. We're not that type of people. We're people that hate destroying anything. But we like being able to live in Menucha and Bishalim. So what does it mean that we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for the Mohammeds, for the wars? And the Panabit explains that what it means is what we're talking about today. That it's so important for a Jew to wage wars in his life. If a Jew is not waging wars, is not being Meisir Nefesh for anything, then it sort of is lacking in what he is as a Jew. A Jew has to, I was just reading a biography about Ramesh Shar. Ramesh Shar was the president of the Abedis Yisrael, and he lived in a time that there were a lot of wars to be waged. There was the Vat Hatzalah saving lives in, 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 in the concentration camps during the war, in the DP camps after the war, to try to save as many nefashas as possible. There were fights to be, war, to be waged in the Supreme Court to win battles, to, to separate, to, uh, to allow for, uh, for yeshivas to get certain funding, to make sure that a Jew can never be fired if he wants to keep Shabbos, which back in the olden days was something that a Jew would have to expect. They would, they would be Meister Nefesh for Shabbos, they would take a job on Sunday, and then on Friday they would have to tell their boss that we can't work, work tomorrow, and then they would get fired for that. Because in those days they didn't have the blue laws that would say that you don't have to work on Shabbos and Sunday. So all of these things were battles that had to be fought. And these were young men and women that knew they had a mission to fight and they fought it. This generation is one and maybe last generation also. I don't mean the the generation of the... I mean like from let's say the 1990s until today. These are years, these are decades that there isn't too much to fight for anymore. There isn't so, there, there, there are not that many national battles to fight. The Soviet Union, the Jews in the Soviet Union, they were, Baruch Hashem, allowed to go to Eretz Yisrael or to America. That was a very heavily fought battle that Baruch Hashem had a happy ending. A lot of these fights are no longer in existence. And that's good in a way, but in a way it doesn't shape the minds and hearts of the, of the, of the youth that need to fight battles. Because if you don't fight, if you're not Mason Nefesh for anything, if everything is relaxed and at our, at our own, at our own pace, without any pressure, without any resolve, so that sort of erodes the convictions that we ourselves have. Because there's nothing like fighting a battle to, rally the troops around and to make a person believe in Shabbos and believe in the Torah as when a person is able to engage in something as fierce as fierce as, as, as war, as battle as protests are but yet it's important even in our own life to fight a daily battle a daily struggle if we're looking for the Muhammad that we thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu that we're able to wage that we have the resolve to wage. It might not be these major battles, but they're, they're equally as major. It's just not on a stage that's as large as it used to be. And that's in our own personal lives. Each and every one of us, if we want to personalize Hanukkah, if we want to personalize the Yeshua and the Nechama and the Nisim of Hanukkah, we have to take up arms 
against the things that threaten us in our day-to-day life. All of the Eitzaharas that surround us, from the internet, to movies, to television, to magazines, to billboards, places that we're not allowed to go to, events that we're not allowed to partake in, all of these things involve a mochama. It's a battle that we have to wage, not in a national, we don't have to go to Kikar Shabbos and put our heads through a gate, but we have to go and immerse ourselves in a battle, a personal battle, a battle of the, against the Sahara, which is the most formidable foe. And it means by fighting these battles, what we're in fact doing is, we're saying that this is what we believe in. We believe in the Torah, we believe in the Yitzhah Taiv, we believe in Shabbos, we believe in Kedusha, we believe in Tara. These are things that are so important to us and we're willing to fight for them. And we're willing to fight for them in any way possible will be Meiser Nefesh. What does Meiser Nefesh mean? The Mepharshim say that Nefesh, if you look in Rashi, on the Pasuka, Im Yeshes Nafshechem. Nafshechem means Ritzainchem. Nefesh means Ratzin. Being Meiser Nefesh does not merely mean putting my physical life on the line, but it means being Meiser my Ratzin. I want to give, a lot of times I want to do something in life. I have a taiva to go somewhere. I have a taiva to see something. I have a taiva to listen to something. And when we are Meiser Nefesh, when we're able to say, I'm conceding this Ratzin, I want to do something, but I'm not going to do it, because I understand that this is something that the Rabbi Shalom does not want me to do, if a person says that, that is a mochama. And when you are minatseach over that mochama, when you're able to be victorious in that fight, that is a fight like Matas Yahovanov. And that is something that will not only allow us to see Nisim, but it actually strengthens our, our Kesha with the Rabbi Shalom. It makes us closer to what we're fighting for. If everything is smooth, there's a famous letter from a Vutner, which is in the in my book, um, Better Jewish Bookstores, um, that Ravutner writes to a Talmud, the Talmud says that I feel yish, I feel that I can't, I can't do it anymore, I'm, not, I'm no longer able to be a, a, a great Jew, I'm not able to be an Adam Gadol because I slipped, and I fell, and I was nichshul in a certain Aveir, whatever the Aveir was, and I feel like I've completely blown it. And Rav Hutner writes him back exquisite words. And he says that don't ever think for a second that the G'daylam that you have hanging on your wall, and of course I'm paraphrasing, but the G'daylam that you believe were these Malachim that never were able to be ever Nechshon and Naveira, don't believe it, he says. He says if we think that the Chavitz Chaim was somebody that was Kaddish Meirechem, he was a Malach, and he never ever did Avera, and he never had a battle, let's say, with Lashon Hara. Rafutner says it's just not so. We will never know the battles that the Chavitz Chaim had before he was able to be victorious in his battle against Shmir Halashin. We don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no, but don't believe for a second that a person has absolutely no resistance in life. Every single person, there is a lot of turbulence and a lot of resistance. And he says that you think that the way to be an Adam Gadol is by sitting and learning Taira on Menuchais, by tranquil seas, by tranquil waters, by sitting, you know, in a very relaxed atmosphere without anyone stopping you from learning and everything is perfect. 
and that's the way, and that's the only way that a person could ever be an Adam Gadol. He says that's not true. He says you are a lot closer to being an Adam Gadol when you're being waging a war, and things are very turbulent, and things are very chaotic, and things are very difficult, and there's a struggle, and there's a challenge. At that moment that you're able to do struggle and do battle with the Yetzirah, there you are a lot closer to being an Adam Gadol, he says, than you are when you're sitting and learning Amei Menuchais. And he says that the battles that a person wages against the Yetzirah actually and the Nephilis, when you stumble once in a while, says that is exactly the way that you succeed in the end. He brings a pasuk, Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vakam, that a Tzadik falls seven times and he gets up. He says, Tipshim, people, foolish people think that the definition of that pasuk is that a Tzadik stumbles seven times and he's resilient. He's able to still shake himself off, dust himself off, and get up again. It's the resilience of a Tzadik. He says, No, that's not the Pshat. He says, Sheva Yipal Tzadik Vakam, the Kim of a Tzadik. The way a tzaddik steigs is exactly through the fact that he stumbled seven times. If a person stumbles and stumbles and stumbles, and he's nichshol in one avera after another avera and another avera, but he learns the lessons from there, and he sees how the Yitzhar is able to get him in a certain way, so he makes barriers to make sure that he's not nichshol again. If he sees that, if he does something, he's at a certain time of night and he's alone in his room and he's going to be nichshol, he makes sure never to be alone in his room at that time. Or never to go to a place or talk to a certain person that will allow him to be nichshol. A tzaddik learns from his mistakes and the tzaddik becomes a tzaddik gufa by his mistakes. These are the mochames that we all have. Every single person has a mochama in his life. And this is what makes us great. The greatness of a person, if you read any biography of anyone that's worth reading about, the amazing thing about the biography is the challenges, the, the ability that they had against all odds to become great. The person that was born a certain way, wealthy, and he happened to, and he went to yeshiva, those are, you never see such biographies that everything was perfect. Most of the people that we see became great became great because they suffered, because they lived through times of hardships, and they were able to transcend those hardships and succeed against all odds, to wage tremendous mochames and to be victorious. That's what greatness is. That's how you create a beautiful diamond. The struggles and the challenges and the failings, all of those things the ultimate that ultimately lead to success, that is how you make a, per, a, a great person. And so these are the battles that we have to engage in. Baruch Hashem, we're not living in times of war. There's no draft. We don't, we're, no one is telling us we must go and fight in Iraq, in Afghanistan, there it's Israel. But there are personal mochamas that we have. And we thank HaKadosh Baruch and Allah Nisim that on Hanukkah we have the ability to wage mochamas. And those mochamas help us because they make sure that we never forget what we're living for and that what we're living for is worth fighting for and dying for. And so if a person realizes that that is what the lesson of Hanukkah is, then the Edison Theater, I believe, is something that is a beautiful centerpiece of Hanukkah. That the mice of the Briskarov, that he waited until Ashutech Regeman Ashuk from the Edison Theater 
is something that if you understand the history of the Edison Theater, it takes on, in my mind, at least a whole new meaning. It gives a yaifi to the story of the Brisker Rav on Hanukkah, because it is Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the ability to take Tumah, to take the Kayak of Tumah in the world, which is what the Edison Theater was in a large part, trying to sell in Yerushalayim and making Afghanot, and saying this is not going to happen, and because of them, eventually things stopped, and there was, and it wasn't open on Shabbos, and eventually the Nabu of the Rizkarov was Makoyim, that it became a Makim of raising holy people, of raising families, this is what Hanukkah is all about. When a person is able to fight the good fight, and be able to see it through till the end. This is what I stand for, and I'm drawing a line in the sand. This will not happen. I am not going, I'm going to be Maishinefish. Of course, I'd rather sit home on Shabbos and eat my cholent without going to Kikar Shabbos and getting beaten by police. And I'm not, by the way, advocating that whatever goes on nowadays in Yushalayim, that it's all correct. A lot of it is not correct. And a lot of it is done in an inappropriate fashion. But having said that, just the actual willingness for people that are sincere, sincerely Yerushamayim, that they're willing to be Meisir Nefesh to put it all on the line for Shabbos, for Kedusha, for Tara. If a person is able to do that, that's a person that's a real Yid. That's a person that's going to be able to appreciate the Nesav Hanukkah, the fact that Matasyah Obana fought the fight, and that is inspirational for each and every one of us as well, that in our daily existence, with our daily struggles and the Sianus that we all have living in America circa 2009, with all of the Yetzirahs that your Dar knows a lot more than my Dar does, but my Dar also knew it, but your Dar is a thousand times worse, and to be able to sit in the Yeshiva and learn Taira, it's mamish unbelievable. I don't know how you guys do it, I really don't. If I would grow up in a dar that I had iPods and internet and, and uh, Wi-Fi and, and the, the Wii and the, and Xbox, I don't know how a yid is able to sit and learn Taira with a full mind. I just don't. But the fact that you are B'nai Taira in this dar is mamish nistadish kadesh kadashim. But you have to know that it doesn't come easy as you do know and you have to fight. Don't ever rest on your laurels. Don't ever think, well, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. No such thing as good enough. If you have to, if you're good, then build on that greatness and fight the good fight. Make sure that you praise the Rabbi Shalom when we sang Al Anisim tonight and in benching and in davening for the next eight days. Al Anisim Ba'al Muhammad. Thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for giving me hopefully the resolve to fight all the necessary battles in my life. And with those battles, our personalities will be changed, our gisha, our approach to Yiddishkeit and to Torah will be formed and molded, and in Mirza Hashem we will be Yidden, that will be Hanukkah Yidden, that will be able to understand that when the time comes to be Meiser Nefesh for the Rabbi Nishayim and for the Torah, we will be able to rise to the challenge and answer the call. Have a wonderful Shabbos. And a-